Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. If you're going to plan a church, here's what you got to know. You're going to be unpacking and packing up a trailer nonstop. So here's what you do. Rather than doing it the old-fashioned hard way, you do it the easy way. You get a hold of Portable Church Industries. That's right. They'll help you play Tetris with all of your crap that you got to unload every week. So don't make your people mad. Make life easy on them. Make it easy on yourself. Head on over to PortableChurch.com and let them give you a hand. If you think I'm sexy, come on, baby, let me know. <laughs> Welcome to the Church Planner Podcast. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yes. Without missing a beat. See, we're like chalk and cheese, PB and J, Heckle and Jekyll. Oh my gosh, man! I did, all all morning long. I was just having that go through my head, and I was like, "I got a serenade, Peyton," and you picked it up and finished it off without missing a beat, my friend. You know that that's what makes this friendship work. If you think I'm, hey, holy, <laughs> nope, nope, not gonna let you know. That's that's how you have to modify it for for most audiences at church, you know. If you think I'm holy and you want my Bible, something like that. I don't know. I, don't, I like it. No? I like it. Yes. No. Hey, so you're gonna love this. I got another voicemail to play. Oh yes, from it's not Nana. Oh, but it's just as good in my opinion. You ready? <laughs> yeah. Hi, uh, Phil. I hope this is Phil. Uh, uh, this is my name is D D E A, and I'd like to come over and have a. Um, I heard trim, just a small trim. So um, I was 
hoping that maybe I can come next Tuesday, uh, like about 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Can you let me know, please? My number is 949-552. I should probably not play her number. <laughs> oh, no, you probably shouldn't. Get, but, you know, that's Nana. That's, that's her not, voice. That's, no, this is Nana. Sorry. I uh, went out of the wrong screen there. This is your Nana. Hello. I'm sorry. I'm a grandma, and I dialed the number wrong. Yeah. See, no, not the voice the same is the same, but the, no, the delivery is different. It's not the same voice. It's just it must be the transmission through the internet. It's not the same. Oh, okay, all right, all right. I got you. Well, yeah, and I'm technically, it was it was a different phone that she called. So that's the 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 one that you got today. It was like she was kind of annoyed that she was getting her hair trimmed. Like she was kind of mad. Like you're taking pieces of my body away. I kind of want to know what part of yes, hello, thank you for calling Pete Mitchell. Makes you think my name is Phil. She wants a haircut. Pete Mitchell, Paul Mitchell. It's, you know, you, you can see where she that didn't happened. even call me Paul. She called me Phil. I'm not well, even Paul Mitchell. I'm Phil Mitchell now. You're Pete Mitchell's Paul's uh, manicuring brother. And she figures she hit, you know, the guy who maybe you're the guy that shampoos the hair. How'd you like to have that job? <laughs> Why? Do you call the guy who shampoos your hair as if he's got a backup and needs to schedule his shampooing? Okay, so this is how bad. Like, I would love to get somebody who's listening to call in and give us horror stories of whether they or their wife or their their husband, I don't want to be sexist here, uh, was the shampooer of the hair in, in like Fantastic Sam's or some hair salon. Because you know they got horror stories. You know, there's someone out there, some customer. It's like, why well, am having my hair trimmed on Thursday? I won't wash my hair till then, because they're gonna do it for me. You know that has to be nasty. I would totally agree. And if we had a radio show, I bet you we would have some sweet stories right now. Oh my gosh, the you know, phone and, would be ringing off the hook. Oh yeah, and and you know, you've you've heard Jim Gaffigan talk about like masseuse, right? No. He goes, think about it. He goes, my wife, I ask her to massage me. She's like, eh, here you go. How's your neck? He goes, that's my massage. You know, she just squeezes me quick on the neck. He goes, but, you know, the people who love us don't want to touch us. <laughs> he goes, but we'll pay strangers to touch our bodies. He's like, what kind of person touches your body for money? Just think about that. And we trust them. Like, we go in the most vulnerable position we can. Oh, you want me to put my head in the in the circle pillow where I'm, I'm prone and vulnerable, but you touch people's bodies for money, like, and you apply that to like the shampoo person, right? Like it it it's creepy, and we don't think about it that way. It's normal. thank you for reminding me. I need to run by the chiropractor today. I got to get my adjustment. Oh, really? Is, well, is I haven't chiropractor got... big. Uh, no, it's different each day. Like, cause I can't picture anybody like going, come here, Pete and grabbing you from behind dude, and hopping up and down with you. Crack, crack, crack. You know how you right. do with your high school buddies. So the place that I go to, there's, uh, there's like two chiropractors, this gal and, <laughs> and the dude is a low talker. He's one of these guys where you can't like, first of all, he's got an accent. I think he's like Vietnamese, but then he's also very soft. He's like, oh, okay. That. I need you to turn over. And I'm like, what? What? Speak up, bro. I can't hear you. What did you ask me to do? So uh, last Wednesday, I go in, and he's in jury duty. 
So they got someone filling in from one of the other offices. Gal I'd never met before. And uh, she's like, oh, I'm going to use this uh, this machine on you. It's uh, it's a quick release something for the muscles. I don't know, right? I have never felt more pain in my whole life. Than- uh, your first indication was machine. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm thinking it's one of those massagers, right, that you get at Christmas time. And you're like, oh, here, honey, let me massage you with our, our little vibrating massager thingy. No. I The whole time I kept thinking, what would Chad do? What would Chad do? Chad is my Navy SEAL buddy, right? <laughs> and he would just be like, I can take it. I can take it. The whole time I'm like, I can take it. I can take it. No, I can't take it. No, I can't take it. No, I can't. <laughs> like. I'm Me just, and you need to do the seal fit challenge. You know, they do that one day thing where they like beat the crap out of you. Dude, we need to do I'm a hundred percent sure I could not do crap. What are you talking about? Absolutely, man. I, I couldn't, I couldn't even do like a, a, you know, a, a moderate, a 40 year old fit challenge, let alone a Navy seal fit challenge. Are you out I of your know. mind? I know, man. I'm getting so old. You know what I did this week? I went to the alarm concert. I don't you remember that know. band from the 80s, The Alarm? No. Okay. No. I was not allowed to listen to the radio growing up. Remember my parents? Like, literally, I wasn't allowed to listen to the radio. Rock and roll's the devil, Bobby Boucher. You know, it, it's funny because when I was a kid, man, like uh, high school, I, I was super into this band called The Alarm. And they were um, kind of like, gosh, I hate to say this because I really like the band and I know the lead singer. They're a band called The Alarm, and they they are like you two, but different, you know, kind of like Elvis. Take these pills, Brothilla, or like aspirin, but different. Um, they, it, it was kind of like you know, uh, going there was like like going to. Uh, uh, how do I put it? It was it was like being served to notice that um, you're old. Nice. You can't go to concerts of bands you used to like without just having a big mirror held up to your face. Cause you remember going to this when everybody had hair down to their butts and everybody's wearing motorcycle boots and you were going to this thing and you were cool and you were hip and you were driving your Plymouth duster that barely held together. You know, it was kind of like chitty, chitty, bang, bang, you know, shooting crap everywhere on everybody. And you know, and those were the days and that's the way it was. And darn it. We liked it. Right. That's how it was. And you scrapped your money together to get into this concert and uh, and now you go and everybody's like accountants and lawyers and they're bald and they're overweight and it, it's just crazy. And you go to this thing and you're like, okay, this is this is my crowd now. And Andrew will always inevitably lean over to me and go, if either one of us dies, we're totally dead. <laughs> what does that <laughs> you know, mean? Yeah. Well, like if, if any if either one of us dies, she goes, she'll say something like this: This is who we have to choose from. Oh, this is who's out there now. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it just reminds me, this is why I love you. This is why I married you. And, um, you know, it's funny because you go to these things, but man, I was disappointed because one of my, one of my crazy stories about this band was when I went to Wales at 19, some of you guys know I went there on a mountain bike. And um, I, I didn't go to Wales on a mountain bike. I did take a plane. I put a mountain bike in a box, 
Wales is almost all hills, so I didn't know. Like, probably should have taken the ten speed, but I took a mountain bike, and uh, it killed me. But I got so fit. Um, so what what happened was I went there in '92, I think it was, and um, I knew that this band lived up in North Wales somewhere. So I went up there, and and was it an influence and in, and in a factor in me going there and moving there? Yes, it was. I actually they came on my radar because this band would sing about Wales. And so it's funny the stuff God will use. But I got my call irrespective of that. But my awareness came from this band originally. And then that led to the Land of Revivals and all that stuff. And then I got burdened. And then I, I went there just for a summer trip just to see the stuff I'd been reading about. And um, when I was up there, I was like, you know, I'm up here. I, I wonder if I could go by Mike Peters' house. He's the lead singer. I just stopped by his house and tell him, hey, thanks for the music. And, uh, and you know, I was a punk kid, and I kind of knew that was a bit forward, but it's just the stuff you do when you're young you don't think about. So literally, I went up to the town. I was driving, I'm riding my, my bike all over the country for six weeks. And um, I, I got up to his town, and I thought, oh, maybe I'd just leave him alone. And then I was buying, like, some snacks at a, at a supermarket. <laughs> I went to the checkout and go, hey, I heard Mike Peters lives around here. And she goes, yeah, he lives right over up on such and such road. I said, really? How would I know it's his house? She tells me everything, spills the beans. <laughs> so I go knock on his door, and uh, his wife answers. And uh, I'm like, hey, um, I know this sounds weird, but uh, I'm, 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 I'm from America, and I, I love your, your husband's music, and um, just wanted to come and say, hey, is Mike home? Can <laughs> <laughs> Mike come out and play? <laughs> Was he there? No, he wasn't there. And, and this is crazy. She goes, no, Mike's not here. But you have to understand the Welsh are like the Hawaiians of the world, the most hospitable people on the planet. She goes, no, come on in, though. Have a cup of tea. <laughs> so I, I did. So I'm sitting, you know, they had this. Uh, it was really cool, man, because they're right on the ocean. And they had this big glass window that looked out on the ocean. And they had like some original art from like john lennon and like they had this really cool jukebox from the 50s back then no one had one of those it was like an original and um i'm just sitting there for like two hours just chewing the fat with her having tea having a great time she's like oh mike's off recording today you know yada yada and uh it was fantastic man and uh i ended up going to uh his house and uh maybe a year or two later i went to a concert and i go Hey Mike, I'm a uh, I'm Peyton, and he's like Peyton Jones. He did like, not. Yeah. He did. I swear to you, I I know him now because that became a thing. Is she? They gave her the hardest time. They're like, you can't ever let someone in again. Like it was scandalous. <laughs> no it was like I don't think anyone ever had the guts to knock on the door, you know. But they had to tell her, look, you know, hospitality is one thing, but you can't ever do that again. So. My, uh, it, it became like, don't let that become a Peyton Jones situation or anything, you know? So <laughs> I, uh, I ended up, um, yeah. So like I, I've given Mike copies of my books. If I go to his show and he knows I'm going to be there, like normally he'll give me like a backstage pass and stuff. It's pretty cool. But, uh, I didn't do that this time and I was really disappointed because like normally Michael like come out and chat with everyone. He's like the coolest guy ever. Very first time I ever talked to him was, um, uh, we went and saw him in, in, at a smaller place called the Coach House in Orange County. And, uh, he, um, this was in high school, man. And he ended up, 
like I had seen him open for Dylan and stuff like that, but uh, this was like a little, they like the intimate venues too. So they would do like Pacific Amphitheater and other places, but he, uh, he would come out and all the guys like, cause my buddy goes, look, I know where to meet him at this venue. He'll stay outside the bus and talk all night. Sure enough, guys are like dragging him on the bus. So he's just one of the coolest guys ever. If you want to know anything about him, he's one of my heroes. There's a, what's the a name of the band? It's called The Alarm. Oh, that's actually the name of the band. Yeah, I actually have a an '80s uh, T-shirt on right now from them, and uh, so, anyways. But there's a really rad documentary, and he's a Christian, by the way. And uh, his documentary is called "Man in the Camo Jacket," and he keeps getting brain cancer, and uh, he keeps fighting it. And he's got a he's got a tragic story on one hand, but an amazing story of perseverance and just. Uh, what he does is insane. He's he's probably the hardest man, working man in rock. It it that title doesn't go to to the boss. It goes to Mike Peters. So, so uh, speaking of brain cancer, how about that John McCain, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, you know it, it's really interesting. We yet again politicized that. <laughs> well, I, I was know? I was just being a jerk. I'm not saying you. I, I was just being a jerk. That's all. <laughs> That was a bad segue. It really Neither was. Going to get hate mail. Remember, Pete Mitchell at churchplanermag.com. Go straight to the trash. Don't even read those. <laughs> Just go straight to the delete box. <laughs> no, I tell you, man, I, I think uh, I think cancer is just one of those horrific ways to go. Not just because of the toll it takes on you, but the toll that it takes on everyone around you. Yeah. Because most of the time, it's not quick. I mean, sometimes it is. I mean, sometimes, you know, you find out and a couple of weeks later, you're gone. I mean, we had a guy, um, you know, my client, Debbie, she uh, she had a, a coach that worked for her and he found that he had cancer and three weeks later he was gone. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes it's quick like that. I mean, that's that's pretty quick. But other times, man, yeah. that thing just drags on and just, yep. oh, it's brutal. I have a, it's brutal. I have a coworker um, at NAMM. Who's going through that? Right oh now. my it's gosh! Hurt. Is it brain? So, um, no, it isn't. Um, I, I won't give any details. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's a good. There's one. nothing they can do now. I don't so think there's a good one to get. Yeah, I mean, there's not like a no. And and once you get that news that there's nothing that can be done, it's like you know when you're talking to that person, it's the last goodbye. You know. Yeah. And um, and that that was my last interaction. Um, it was just over. You know, I was in the food line, she was in the food line, and it was uh, it was just like, she just mentioned, hey, did you know this and that? And it's like, yeah, what do you say? You know, I said, I'll, I'll pray for you, you know, but there's not really a lot that, that you can say. You just know that that person is looking at life a whole heck of a lot differently, yeah. you know? Yeah. So that's, that's tough stuff, man. It's weird to think that the end comes for us all, yet... No one really wants to think about it. <laughs> you know no, what I'm saying? And, and yeah, because you, you know, it's like how Ecclesiastes said, you know, he's put eternity in our hearts. We don't feel like the end is near. We're, we're hardwired for eternal life. We were hardwired for that. So our soul tells us something different than what our body tells us. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, we should probably get into today's topic. Uh, Doc? Right, Scott, it's time for this week's topic. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. So today's topic is uh, Reaching the Unreached, Why It's Such a Great Book. 
No. It's not. Oh, my gosh. I was like, seriously, we're doing a commercial? Yeah, wouldn't that be rad? It really would Hey, Pete, I was looking for a good book the other day, and I couldn't find one anywhere. Wouldn't that be rad? Hey, speaking speaking of uh, things that shouldn't be mentioned on a podcast, um, so last night, I know this is out of smack talk, but you just (laughs) reminded me of it. Doc Brown's a little overzealous today. (laughs) Last night, man. I don't know what was wrong with me when I was sleeping. I must have been slobbering like nobody's business. Because I wake up and I cannot find a dry spot on my pillow. I I don't know what happened, man. No. I don't know what happened. You were crying. You had a dream that me and you broke up. We weren't doing the podcast anymore. And you, you woke up with your pillow drenched with tears, my friend. No, no. Pretty sure it wasn't tears because I was like, you know, you ever done that where you're like, and you're like, just. Dude, I have a beard, so it's like the trapper keeper for saliva, you know, (laughs) keeps it in. And all I know is Jamie has been hitting me a lot more in the middle of the night. So I'm like, I must be snoring too, pretty good, because I'm getting more snoring, drooling, and did you know? By the way, I traumatized my daughter the other day. We were riding. I was. I go on daddy daughter dates with her, and uh, we were driving to her school, and I said, you know, because I was telling her how is that is that does that qualify? Because I take my daughter to school too. Can I say I've been on a daddy daughter date? You got to take her to breakfast. Well, then it qualifies. I don't think my daughter likes me enough yet for that. It's it's kind of a weird (laughs) dynamic. (laughs) <laughs> Luke likes me. Uh Mackenzie, some days she likes me, some days she doesn't, and some days it could go either way at any time throughout the day. Yes, that's not going to change ever probably. That's that's just I think especially in high school years. Uh well, I'm not there yet. I'm not at the high school. Nor me. She's still three. (laughs) So I traumatized her, and I felt kind of bad after I said it, because I just thought it was an interesting, fun tidbit that would make her laugh. And it it had a very averse effect on her. I thought she might never sleep again. I told her, you know, the average person swallows about eight spiders during their lifetime lifetime in their sleep. And she goes, no. And I go, yeah, yeah, no, they do. It's because you sleep (laughs) with your mouth open. No, no, no. (laughs) It was like. It was not happening. Did you so. see that meme where they go, oh, no, wait, there was actually one guy who just eats a bowl of spiders, and he was throwing off the numbers for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. And there's a guy eating a bowl of spiders? I don't know. It was just it was the words, no picture. That's hilarious. I, I did the same thing to Luke a couple of weeks ago. We were talking, because he loves the Avengers, right? So we've been watching the Avengers, and... and um, and he was like, oh, you know, he saw a picture of a spider and go, oh, that's a black widow. How do you know? Oh, it's got the, you know, orange hourglass on the, the belly. And I go, we got black widows all around here. And he's like looking at me. He's like, what? I'm like, oh, yeah, dude, they're all over the place, man. I'm always killing them outside. Dude, like, he, how he just about is it when you find them on. Yeah, go on. He, he just about freaked out. And when he found out sometimes they're inside the house, it was like <laughs> he just went into full panic mode in that very moment yeah they're you know they're really scary spiders when you find one they're so aggressive that's the thing with black widows man is their behavior is creepy yeah but my shoe is bigger yeah so you know where i find them this is terrible i find them in my kids playground area they like to live up inside of there. Of course. And, and inside of toys and crap. That's like the worst part about a Black Widow. 
They're like, hey, a little dark spot inside a toy. Yeah. <laughs> and because they're so aggressive, dude. So no one's been bit yet. But if you found any brown widows, I found tons of those in my shed. All I know is right now, I really wish I had shoes on because I can't see my feet while we're doing the podcast, and I'm starting to freak out. It's that invisible shark in the swimming pool uh, kind of feeling. You know, I, I must say, I could not watch the final Sharknado movie. Just too stupid? Just came out, yeah, Sharknado, it's about time, and they're time traveling with Sharknado. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and I was like... All right, even I can't do this one, and I just I couldn't go any further. Is it like there? There's guys in like pantalons and like. Well, it started time. out. All of a sudden, he's he's in prehistoric times, Jurassic times, and there's dinosaurs everywhere. Next thing you know, they're like in medieval times, but they're still dinosaurs. But they're in medieval times. So I oh, don't that's know. not right. That's like Kung Fury. I Vikings, dinosaurs, ninjas, motorcycles. It's all good. Yeah, it's that Hasselhoff movie, Kung Fury. Uh, uh, you guys haven't checked out Kung Fury. You need to go Google that right now. You're welcome. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. Okay. Yes. Now the serious talk. Okay, we will. But have you seen the Meg? I yes. Think I will take my nine o'clock daughter to that. Yes. I mean, my nine year old. My nine o'clock daughter. How many daughters do you have? Well, how many hours in the uh, day are there? One one cup of coffee is worth right now. Two <laughs> cups of coffee. I know how many kids I have. <laughs> <laughs> one cup. Not sure. Two cups. Yeah, I, I remember. Know. Only had one cup, still got the headache, you know, still on a little bit of withdrawal from the coffee. <laughs> I have seen the Meg. I saw it opening the weekend. It was pretty good. Was it good? I enjoyed it. It looked rad. I mean, it's I- not sorry. great, but it's it's not Jaws, but it's not good. Win an Oscar? It's it's Probably better not. than your average sci-fi channel movie. Yeah, no, I mean I mean it's it's about a giant shark. How could what could be wrong with that movie? Exactly. And it eats a lot of people. Oh, I hope so. I, and I hope it's kind of like it eats a bunch of people at the same time. Like, oh, yeah. No, know, it goes I'm into it. seeing Jaws just eating one person at a time. Dude, I, it goes into it. some uh, loaded beach area where there's like hundreds of people in the water. <laughs> it's like. Don't ruin it for me. Oh. Don't tell me that he gave birth to himself. Well. <laughs> The origin story. So, hey, um, let's let's get down to the nitty-gritty, shall we? So the topic today is, Pete Mitchell, I want to plant a church. Um, how do I know what kind of church I need to plant? I think it's a good question because I think there's a mix of, here's the kind of church I'd like to plant versus here's the kind of church I should be planting versus uh, what does God want me to plant? So, yes, please do. Tell us. How do we decide? Your church plant. It's not the church that people deserve. It should be the kind of church they need. If if we're going to do that, let's do that right. All right. The Church Planner Podcast isn't the podcast that planners deserve, but the podcast they, they need. need. I love the way he says that. Need. I just, I, hey, I thought my thing was good for this topic. You know, I see what I did there. I changed it a little bit. But, you know, it should be the church, not that you want to plant. It should be the church that your community needs. And here's the thing. Like, I don't know if you guys notice this right now, but, um, I, I'm critical. I, I, I wouldn't say I have a critical spirit, but I'm a little critical of leaders. I don't trust 
a lot of leadership out there. The reason why is when I read the New Testament, I often find that um, Paul talks about people who talk a lot, not people who actually do. And I've learned over the years that ministers are really good at talking, very poor at doing. Um, so Jesus isn't going to say, well said, on the last day. He's going to say, well done, right? So uh, I didn't make that up, by the way. I, I read that in a meme. But, you know, he's going to say, well done. It's what you do that's going to matter, not what you said. And right now in Christianity, we we have people want to be like thought leaders, like, oh, check out my thinky think, my tweety tweet. You know, check out my thoughty thought. And everybody wants to be like part sociologist. They call it missiologist. And you're supposed to be like, oh, wow, they blinded me with missiology. You know, they blinded me with science. And we're supposed to be in awe that this guy really gets it. He's on the cusp, on the cutting edge. And you read these things and you look at these social trends and you'll know. Whatever happened to hearing the voice of God? Mm. Whatever happened to to Hearing what God has to say, you know, I, I, I'm going in the church that, that I'm attending. I'm hearing uh, from Sunday to Sunday the letters to the seven churches. Jesus has thoughts about your church. Jesus has things that he observes about you as a messenger, as one of the angels, as, as he says, right to the, the, the angel or the messenger of the church at Philadelphia. Um, he has things to say to you. And I just think that as a church... We've gotten away from this idea that you are meant to go do what you're commanded to do, and on the way, Jesus will meet you, and he will show you what you're supposed to do. You ever notice how like God sometimes calls people like Abraham? He goes, arise up and go to the country that I will show you. And he doesn't get his marching orders till he gets there. So he, he waits a long time because he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. And he waits for um, Haran to die, his father-in-law. And uh, and then eventually, um, then he gets there and the scholars tell us it's probably like 12 years later that he shows up there. Mm. And uh, then God meets with him and goes, well, hey, cool. You, you finally showed up to the land, to the country I showed you. And now I'm here and you're here. And uh, let's get started 12 years later. And um, and I just think a lot of um, people nowadays are spinning their wheels. But l- let's kind of take it apart in the sections that you outlined. You talked about not just doing the one you want. I think that's the biggest danger, doing the church plant you want to do. Yeah, but, I mean, there's a there's a, a kind of a catch to this in that yes. you, I'm sure you have an opinion, yeah. right? And there is what you like. That's just a natural thing. There's like, oh, well, you know, I don't like the church that plays the hymns. You know, I like the rock band, whatever. Mm-hmm. So you're naturally going to be pulled in that direction. Yeah. And see, here's the the funny thing is that I don't ever get to do the church plan I want to do. You know what I mean? Like, I would be the first guy to tell you, oh, you know what Peyton likes? Peyton likes a worship service. It's got incense in it. And, and like people trip out when I tell them this. I like standing, sitting, kneeling because I like it participatory. I like um, doing creeds. I like singing hymns. I like ancientness. I like all of that stuff. That's me. That's what I like. But God never lets me plant that church. You know, I don't get to do what I want to do. 
But if you ask Peyton where I'm the happiest, I'm the happiest in a high church setting, a liturgical setting. Part of that is that's when I got saved. When I got saved, I scooted my butt on over to an Episcopalian church that I could get to easily, walk through the doors and say, I'm ready to worship. And that's what was presented to me, candles and incense and all that crap. And that's how I learned to worship God. So I had been going to a Calvary Chapel. So I had seen the guy with the guitar leading, and I liked that. That was good, too. But then on Sundays, I could get to another church because my buddy would take me in the other place. But I got to church on Sundays going to one that was easily accessible. And so the reality is, at the end of the day, man, um, I don't ever get to do the one that I want. I do the one that I think is going to be the most effective for other people and to reach them and hit them. And even still, I haven't completely hit that. But I do think that when you start with a church plant, that what we don't do is we don't start with lost people and where they're at. When I read the book of Acts, I see Paul is doing something different every time. And I, I think there's a correlation here. I always look at Jesus's miracles where Jesus he he heals people differently every time. He heals like eight different blind people in the New Testament. But each time he does it different. One time he spits in a guy's eye. That's my favorite. Another time he spits in the dirt. He makes a little mud and he packs it on the guy's eye. Another time he just places his hand on the guy's eye. Um, <laughs> the one where he puts a mud, he goes, now go wash in the pool and present yourself to the priest. Like each time, and then the guy washes, and when he's in front of the priest, then he sees. Jesus had a reason for doing these things differently. One of the reasons, I think, was to show you when God works, it's not the same way every time. He might be doing the same thing, reaching lost. Um, spreading the gospel, but it's not going to work the same every time. So I think in one sense, that was kind of like a freedom Jesus gave to us. And yet, at this, in, another, in another way, there was a different lesson to be learned. So I believe there's different types of churches for different types of people. I, I get really irritated when someone comes in and goes, well, you know, our church, we meet in the living room and we have food together and we do life together and it's the right way. And I think to myself, no, it's a way. It's not the right way. We're most like the New Testament church. Well, you might have certain things about it, but do you have team leadership? Well, no. Do do you um, meet outside ever? Well, no. Well, do you, like, there might be some ways, like, I, I don't think Refuge Long Beach or any church I've planted was more like the New Testament church and than it had elements that were. For sure. But I think all of us have, we're, we're all trying to find our way. So it, it, here's the thing. There are different ways. And the problem is, whatever's trendy is what leaders tend to fall into. They read a book. They read what God showed some other dude. And then they go, that's what I'll do. I'll do what God showed the other dude. Well, that's cool. And maybe God wants you to do what the other dude did. But maybe he doesn't. Maybe he wants to show you something new. And that that's kind of where I'm going with this is I think if we started, Pete, with lost people and we kind of looked at just like Paul did something different every time, just like Jesus did something different every time, maybe we would start to actually find new ways or new things that God wanted to do through our church. Like I stumbled into the whole way that we do things on accident. 
simply because I wasn't trying to do church. I was just trying to talk to lost people. And in trying to talk to lost people, a new, I would say, model, because you could reproduce, anything you do can become a model. You can reproduce it. Um, but I wouldn't go around saying to everyone, you need to go into a Starbucks and you need to start a book club. And you need to start a reading group. And then off that reading group, you need to have a church that sits around a kiosk. I can tell you what we did. And maybe you go, oh, that's cool. That works better than sitting in rows for us. But I would be robbing you if I told you that's the right way and that's what you all need to do. Because you might find a better way to even take what I did and do it better. And I want I want people to find that. I mean, I, I, what are your thoughts on that, Mr. Mitchell? Sure. Good. Good. See, I'm always right. Always no, right. I mean, obviously I agree with that. but Well, uh, think of it. Uh, this is what I always like to to, to kind of wonder about with you is with entre- entrepreneurs, I know that you can follow someone's formula. You can follow someone's pattern. But would you say that a lot of the stuff that, that people find is, um, or, or, or in some cases, um, people do the same kind of thing where they just, they find something that they kind of come into that they weren't trying to follow someone else's deal? No, not at all. I would say the majority of people, if you're going to follow someone else's deal, it's like a franchise. And why do you do a franchise? Because you know it's going to be successful. You don't have to think. It's brain-dead entrepreneurism, if you will. Just give me the formula. Great. I plug it in. That's what I think most denominations are. It's the franchise formula. Here, we're going to show you how to basically set it up, You know where to put the cross, uh, how many rows to have. Um, you know, how to do the band. Oh, and by the way, here's your sheet music. This is what you're going to actually use. I mean, that's the majority of churches is that is, is the franchise model. Most everyone else who's not doing the franchise model in business, they do whatever they came from. And however it was where they were at is what they recreate because it's what they know. People always run to what they know. So, and I think it's very much so the same way in church. Like you might be like, oh, I'm totally different. You know, I'm not doing what we used to do. And it's like, yeah, it's smaller (laughs) you know, and you don't have as cool of a building, but yeah, it is. It's the exact same thing because you do what you know. Yeah. That's why guys like Hudson Taylor were so, you know, shockingly different to everyone else because what they decided to do was what does the culture need from me? Like, how, mm. how do I need to be to reach this culture? But that was what made him the oddball and hated, right, yeah. by by the Christian community. Oh, yeah. How, how dare you have a, a, a braid and wear those those heathen clothes? Right. I mean, you know, and, and in a lot of ways, that used to kind of be, like, even the uh, the Calvary Chapel movement. Like, look at all those guys with their tattoos and Oh my gosh, he's, he's even fighting MMA. That's, that's not, you know, that's heathen. That's the world. And like, yeah, but they're also reaching that culture. Right. And now that's trendy, right? So that's no longer the world anymore. <laughs> you have to have tattoos and fight MMA just to be you right. know, American. But yeah. yeah, so. No, that's good, man. That's, that's really good insight. I think, um, you know, that though, I, I love that you bring up Jay Hudson Taylor because that there's a, a shining example of a guy who didn't say, you know what? I need to, um, go, uh, you know, typical English tea in the Sahara, um, to quote an old sting song. 
where they would go out there and they would they would literally be Englishmen in the middle of the desert or wherever it was, and they'd have tea time. And out would come the silver uh, teapot and the you know the the uh, this the porcelain teacups and dude, you're in the Sahara Desert, like you can't. Yeah, what you're doing this wrong. And missionaries were the same. They would go and you, you, you know, all the old pictures where they put them in little cravats and ties and, you know, three piece little suits and, uh, they make the, the, the woman wear the girdle, you know, and she's been used to wearing a grass skirt and coconuts. And, you know, suddenly it's like, this is what it means to be Christian. It's, it's almost tragic to go through the museum in Hawaii. If you've ever been there. And look at the the Westernization of uh, the Polynesian culture, and that was very much how missions were done, and it was seen as an oppression on people. And, and as we look back through the the eyes of history, it does seem very oppressive. You know, we can see it through modern eyes, and the people meant well, and they were often going there at the risk of their own lives, but it wasn't culturally sensitive. It wasn't Paul's idea of becoming all things to all men. Where that's what you have to, that's what J. Hudson Taylor did. He said to the Jews, I became as a Jew. So what does it mean if you're going to reach the surf culture? Well, obviously you would grab a surfboard and you would, you would paddle out and you'd start surfing at the regular times where people surf. You know, you'd, you'd start going, well, how do I reach you? You'd get to know them first and you would see why, you know, maybe Sunday morning is not a good time because everyone's out on the waves. You want to reach surf culture. Maybe you meet some other time. Maybe, I mean, there's a couple things surfers like to do. They like to surf and they like to eat. They eat a lot because it takes a lot of the calories to surf. So maybe you do a lunchtime thing down on the beach. You barbecue, you know what I mean? Like you'd figure out some way where it would fit that lifestyle. And like we've mentioned before that right now there's a, um, there's a movement in Orange County that I know of, of, Christians that they, they'll get an email and be like, Hey, we're going to be here this week and they'll be in some warehouse somewhere. And it's like, uh, what Kirk Overstreet calls pop-up church. Um, he was talking to me recently. He's like, dude, I got this idea. I don't know if you've done it. Um, but it's, it's low overhead. You, you pop up and that's Kirk innovating because Kirk is Don Overstreet's son. And he's thinking LA, the buildings are so expensive, but we could find something that utilizes public space and it doesn't have to be the same place, so we don't need permits every time, yada, yada, um, pop-up church. And I was like, dude, I know of a movement that's kind of doing that already. And um, so these are things that they're outside the box, and there may come a day. Hey, and Kirk, where- what you need for that is you need my texting platform, which I'll give to you for free, because you don't want to reach people with email. You want to reach them with texting. Yeah. So that would be the easiest, coolest way to, like, this is where we're meeting. Here's a yeah. link to the address. Yeah. Boom, right there on their phone. No, that's that's really good, man. And and Kirk's like, hey, I think this is the way forward. And I agree with him. And I think the idea that church isn't about the building and you show up and you do all the essential, you know, what what uh, Brian Sanders calls minimal ecclesiology, you'd be okay. You could do that, you know. So as, as you're looking at this stuff um, – you know, George Whitfield, same thing. How did he innovate? He basically looked at who was coming to churches. He was in Bristol, and there was a huge colliery, which is a, a coal mine. And he just said, you know what? These guys, 
nobody's reaching them. They're never going to come into church. I've got to go to them. And of course, if you remember, he looks in the, in the Bible and he goes to John Wesley and says, Hey, John, this is, this is ironic. John, I'm looking in the Bible and Jesus wasn't in churches. He was actually outside. And John says, George, this is blasphemous. Pursue this thought no further. This will take you into dangerous places because the authority of the church was everything back then. And so, uh, and, and in fact, Wesley remained a loyal Anglican till the day he died. He would never let him pull. Charles every year would be like, do we got to pull away? And he'd say no. And um, the reality is, what, what would Whitfield, if Whitfield had just, if he hadn't innovated, you know, he saw his Bible, it gave him freedom, and he just went and tried something different. He wasn't trying to plant a church. He was trying to reach lost people. J. Hudson Taylor wasn't trying to plant a church. I think this whole planting a church business can sometimes be just a crock of bullcrap. You know, like, I'm trying to, to plant a church. Why? Like, what's your end goal? What do you, are you actually trying to reach lost people or not? And I know this is like Church Planner Podcast 101, but when you're asking what model or what type of church plant, you can't get that out of a book. You might read a book that tells you how to do the model that you're supposed to do by someone who blazed that trail and did it well. Like, you might be supposed to be doing what Rick Warren did. Maybe you are. Maybe you're supposed to be doing what Jeff Vanderstelt did with Soma. Maybe you are. Maybe you're supposed to be doing what Peyton Jones did in a park. Maybe you are. But maybe you're not. Maybe you're supposed to be doing what fill in the blank is being called by God to do. And the world has yet to see that because you have yet to seek God. Go out and reach lost people and meet them where they're at and have God fill in the blank for you because it, you didn't get out of the book. You got it out of the mission field. And it was rich and it was good because it's what God showed you. And that leads us kind of full circle back to Jesus has something to say to you about your church plan. I dig it, man. I dig it. Yeah. Well, and we're not done yet, Pete. Good. So any any questions that come to mind for you just kind of hearing that stuff or anything you think some of our guys <laughs> might be thinking? No, I have a really bad headache today. Unfortunately, so that, that's why not. I gotta lean on you. Here's the reason, man. As soon as you said that whole pop up church, my mind was going off. How would I market this? How would I get people to connect? I would totally use texting. Like my head right now is going. Oh, I think I need to pay my programmer to add some new features that I can give this service to churches. Like literally, that's where my head was going in that moment. I was like, this could be like the greatest way for a church to reach their people. So what if your pop-up church, like, let's just, let's mess around with that a little bit. What if your pop-up church was based around a social cause, right? So like you, you, you start off and you say, Hey guys, today we're going to do pop-up church in the Carlsbad Lagoon because, uh, they, you know, they need people to help. So we're going to do that. We're going to clean it up. We're going to, um, we're going to eat and then we're going to, we're going to worship God there. Boom. What if you say, Hey, we're going to go down to, uh, children's Hospital today, um, Ronald McDonald House. We're going to feed uh, all the people that their kids have terminal diseases and what have you. 
And afterwards, when we're done doing KP and doing the dishes in the Ronald McDonald house, there's this huge cafeteria when we do church here. Imagine all the people you get to that. They're like, dude, let's go. You would definitely reach millennials. You'd reach millennials and you'd reach the elderly. Right. It's, it's, it's ironic, but, um, I was thinking about this with, uh, a church plant that, that I know. And, uh, the elderly are some of the most would, let me put it like this. They would be some of the most active in missions if a church would actually go on mission. Mm. And I think for a lot of them, it's because they know, Hey, you know what? I'm coming up on the end of my time here. Yep. You're so right. I want to do something. Why isn't anyone ever doing anything? We're always talking. We're always showing up here at church, but we're never actually doing anything. That's so true. And so I think that segment of the population would activate very quickly for this type of idea. And so would the millennial because that's like their whole thing. It so is, man. Every everything you just said right then. Like I've noticed this with old people big time. Like uh, elderly, yeah. elderly, El- elderly. Yeah, the, the the grippers. I've noticed this with the gray hairs. I've noticed this with the grippers. You know when they grab you. Oh, how are you doing? Oh, you know. So that in, in Wales you call them grippers. I refer to them as huggers. <clears throat> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, they do. And and, and there's so- this gal at our church. She's. I think she's autistic. And so, like, the first time I met her, she was like a hugger, and I let her hug me because I knew she was autistic, or I, I don't know what it is, but I just assume that's what it is. And then, you know, after going there for, like, a year and a half, one time she came up to me to hug me. I go, hey, uh, I'm a handshaker. We've we've moved past that stage. <laughs> and so now when I see her, she goes, you don't like to hug? I'm like, nope, I'm a handshaker. <laughs> and I just hand my hand out. I'm like, dude. That's so rad. There was a there was a meme that I almost sent you, and it was like you know when when the person uh, when the preacher says hey okay everybody you know reach out and greet one another and the guy's not into it and it, it had this picture of someone freaking out it was something from a movie it was funny I almost sent it to you but that moment passed sorry so hey um but yeah hey you know I I I think. What were you talking about? I don't even remember now. I totally ruined it. <laughs> oh, my brain. It's got a headache. But pop-up church, man. So we are just talking about linking it to social causes oh, yeah. and how the older folk could be into it. And I honestly, I honestly just think that, you know, there are things out there that someone here is going, that's cool. I'll do that. Um, we've talked about, you know, starting up like a, a, you know, business as mission, running church out of that. Um, but your business is literally just your goal is to become the best coffee roaster in your county and you run something or I, there was a guy, um, uh, who came and saw me, uh, for a little bit of advice. He was starting up a church where it was a, like a farm to table restaurant and every plate you bought would donate a meal to a charitable cause. So it could be women and children's shelter. It could be, uh, something like the Ronald McDonald. They would donate a plate to someone in need for every plate you bought. And he was like, you know, it's social entrepreneurship. And he linked that with the church. And he was like, hey, you know, this is my model. And I love it when I see this kind of innovation. Um, I think it's cool when someone comes along and sees it and goes, I want to do that. But it's even better when someone just, they're just listening. They're just paying attention to not only to culture, but to God. Because I think God is paying attention to culture. But we make it sound like we just pay attention to culture and we'll figure it out. Well, what's interesting is 
a church that Jamie and I went to years and years ago when we were first married, um, after we left, uh, their, their pastor retired and, you know, the youth pastor finally got to take the reins and it's a mega church. I mean, they, at, when we left, they had a few thousand people a weekend show up there over multiple services. And, um, I, like I said, after we left, they got on the <clears> kick <throat> of taking care of foster kids. I shouldn't say the kick. I mean, they, they, th- that diminishes what they were doing and still do, but it became like, this is, this is, as Bob Goff would say, this is the fight we're picking. We're picking it with, uh, kids that have basically been abandoned or neglected. We as a church are going to address this issue. And so people in the church were taking on foster kids. Uh, this guy who, um, I went to Biola with, uh, we reconnected because he's in real estate. He was telling me, he was like, yeah, you know, we still go to that church. And, uh, you know, that's why we've got, I think he had like two foster kids that he either had adopted or were in the process of adopting. He's like, you know, they, they just said, Hey, this is the, the fight we're going to pick. And this is what, what we're going to do. And again, it's getting people off of the sidelines and into the big game. You know, Mm. just pick it as a church. Like, this is what we're going to do. I know at, at the church plant that I've been going to, the, the nonprofit or the, the, the issue that they seem to constantly be taking up is they're working with uh, one of the women's and uh, children's shelters, the, the abuse shelter where the, the women are taken in after they've, you know, had problems with, uh, domestic issues with whether it's a husband, a boyfriend, whatever, um, you know, young mothers, single moms, all that kind of stuff. Like that's, that's been their thing mm. that, that they've really taken on, which I mean, realistically as a church, we could get behind it even more right right now. We get behind it on, Oh, Hey, you know, a couple times a year. Hey, this is what we're going to do. But if it became a weekly thing, hey, this is what we're doing. Kind of like what I see a little bit of of Refuge Long Beach doing. At least they used to. I don't know if they still do. I know they were really involved with one of the uh, the shelters there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely well, think. Store, here's here's the funny thing about that was we partnered with um, another church called the Garden, and it's one block from the shelter. And so when we partnered, uh, there's still some people that come over. But most of them can walk there instead of taking the big man. And it just kind of made sense. Like we here here's why churches don't partner with other churches, because you lose people. But equally, I think we gained a couple people from the garden too. But it doesn't matter because if what we did for that time was to adopt a women children shelter that that people could get saved at, because I know they're gonna go to the garden and keep getting saved. And maybe even more so. Right, maybe more people are willing to walk a block than get in a van and drive eight blocks to our church. So that whole idea, we sat in, a, and I'm always so proud of this team because they're like, well, you know, we knew that was a risk, and it, 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 you know, that we would lose these people. We love these people because in a church like Refuge, it is all relationship, you know. But they're like, but hey, it makes sense, and so they said, you know, we're going to entrust that to them. We still have that relationship. We still have some people come over, but we said we're going to entrust that. And guess what? We get to go find someone else. And if that means we marry them to another ministry and the gospel, 
That's Refuge Long Beach's vision is to go after the ones nobody else is, to catch those that are falling through the cracks of the mesh in the net that churches have cast over that city. And if we find those other fish falling through, we've got our own net and we'll catch them. And we're happy to go put them back in somebody else's net. The, all we care about is that they're caught. Does that make sense? Yep. So it's really cool, man. Like we're, uh, you know, that, that church. So guess what we're looking for and praying for right now? Someone else to adopt. Someone else to go after. And that's what makes it fun to me because I'm apostolic. Apostolic people get bored. You'll get bored with whoever it was. And that, that came about because I challenged a team. You have to not do nothing this Christmas. You have to do, to do nothing is a cinder in this time of year. You have to do something. I don't care what it is you do. Get out there and do something because this is not. And that's what came out of that. And that was the team. That wasn't me, but it was me maybe putting the, the boot of motivation up the backside of complacency, so to speak. But, um, or, or maybe it wasn't even complacency. It was, it was lack of direction. And I said, look, if you just get out there, God will meet you. And I guess here, th- this is a perfect way to end because that's exactly what happened. That's what I'm saying. Your ministry strategy comes when you get out on the mission field and God goes kind of like the old model, which used to be, um, you know, go out there and take God to the mission field when you go. What reaching the unreached really is saying is God's already out there. Get out there and meet him. You know, like become his partner. He's already out there reaching people. He's already out there doing stuff. And when you get out there, you realize that strongly. And that's where the magic happens. But God goes, hey, like Abraham, I told you, get your butt out here. Get your butt out here and start reaching lost people. And when you do, I will make all things clear to you. I'll make it, I'll make it obvious to you. So don't go to the big book of church plant models, like the big book of baby names. Think you're going to pick it all out for the baby's born. Do what, what the parents used to do. You know, the baby's born. He has blue eyes. You call him blue. You know, uh, the baby's born. Uh, he's hairy and red. You call him Esau. He looks like Pete. You, your parents should have called you Esau. I'm not hairy. I am red. <laughs> I think you are hairy. I'm not, man. It's, <laughs> it's the Native American in me. Like, I keep joking with my wife my whole life. I'm like, I got a bald spot in my goatee right here. I can't wait for puberty to hit. I have one of those, too. Do you? Yeah, I have a little line. It's like in a, in a diagonal line right here. I have the same thing. Hair has to grow over that little spot. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, because you don't look lit. I'm looking at your face right now. I know. If if I shave it tight, you'll see it. Yeah. And I have a reverse cowlick up front. What's that all about? What's a reverse cowlick? It's a cowlick that goes the wrong way as the rest of your hair when your hair like folds naturally on your head. So it's if if my hair's on the uh, on the left side of my head, it flows naturally to the left. A reverse cowlick goes, no, we're going to grow to the right right here and make a little wave. It And no hairstyle is ever good for that. Well, the only thing I can say about this podcast. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. I think we've officially ended the podcast. We start talking put about out reverse cowlicks. Yeah. Pete, what gun would you use to put this podcast out of its misery? Simplifychurch.com. And you? <laughs> Uh, you know, I think it would be simplifiedchurch.com as well. You know why, Pete? Because they're, they're more like an AK-47. 
They're they're capable of doing all kinds of damage, like your website design, taking care of payroll, your IRS compliance, just like an AK-47. It's automatic. Go to SimplifyChurch.com. <laughs> it's a semi-automatic. Yeah, I, I don't know guns that well. I'll stick. <laughs> well, no, actually, weapons. there are there are automatic AK-47s, but I was I, thinking. I don't. I don't even know ninja weapons. You know, I got like a stack of like six books behind me on ninjas and samurai. I still don't know what I'm talking about. But hey, guys, thanks for joining us for the podcast today. This has been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell telling you <laughs> that if you want to reach the people no one's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Magazine.com.